Well, good morning. There's no place like this place, any place near this place, so this must be the place. At least it's the place where we are right now. What a beautiful day. Anytime you can have it like this in February, you can't complain. Now, I know some of us would prefer to live in warmer climates than we live in even here. Trust me, you live in a warmer climate than I usually live in. And so it always is a respite to come down here on the weekends to be able to enjoy uh, whatever you have going on down here. I know you take it all for granted and you wish that you had what they have in Florida. No, you don't want what they have in Florida. I talked to somebody who was just in Florida. They came back and they said in the daytime it was in the 40s and at night it was in the 30s. Uh, That's not a whole pile different than here. And it's not anywhere near as beautiful as here. So this must be the place. What week has been the most exciting week of your life? Was it the week that you got your first bicycle? How about the week that you started high school? Well, when you started, that was great, but as soon as you got to be a freshman in high school, you realized you were a nobody, and you better find a place to hide quick from all the upperclassmen because of what they were going to do to you. So maybe your best week was when you graduated from high school, or the week you started college, or the week you graduated from college. Many of you will choose the week that you got married, or the week that your first child was born. Some of you, it'll be the week that you got your first home could be your birthday week. It could be your anniversary week. It could be like my grandson. Uh, his favorite week is Christmas week. We probably all have a very exciting week we can remember. As far as history is concerned, there are some very exciting weeks. And the week that I want to talk about today, I think is probably the most exciting week up until this point in history. Now, I realize that there are a couple of other weeks in there uh, that we usually celebrate around the end of March, the beginning of April, that, uh, that are uh, equally as important and equally as exciting. But what I want us to talk about today, found in Genesis chapter 1, is uh, a week that is the first week of all weeks. Now, I need you to do something before I pray with you and before we dig into the text. I need you to turn to the person beside you. Okay, look at them. Come on, look at them. And that I, what I want you to say to them is, it's not going to be as hard to understand this week. We did need to uh, lay down the theological foundation, and that's what I did in the first three weeks of our study of Genesis. This one's going to move along rather quickly. In fact, we're going to cover most of a chapter. You say that's not possible. He couldn't even get through one verse in three weeks. So to get through one whole chapter is not a possibility. Let's pray before we begin. God, would you direct us? Would you help us? Would you help us to be able to put some of the pieces together so that when we do study Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, they will make sense? Lord, there are some things that we can learn and apply, and so I pray that you'll help us to do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look with me at verses 3 through 5, and we're going to look at the first day of creation. 
And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So what happened on this day? What are some of the things that we can place in the foundation of our understanding so that it helps us to make sense of everything else that we are going to discover in the Bible? There are a couple of expressions that are used here in what I've just read for you that are important for you to kind of underscore in your mind. The first thing that I want you to notice is, and you'll see this with each of the six days of creation, it begins with this little expression, and God said. You'll recall that I, I talked about the fact that God created things ex nihilo, out of nothing. That God created it through the force or the power of his word. So when we discover that it says, and God said, we're seeing that whole concept coming together in the activities that are going to take place in what we are learning about this morning. This saying really marks out a distinct period of time, a beginning and an ending. Now, the Hebrew word marks days differently than what we do. Do you notice that it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day? You say, that's not the way we talk about it. We've got to realize that we talk about it the morning and the evening is the first day. But in Hebrew... In the Hebrew world, they marked their day from sundown all the way back around until sundown. And so that's why he talks about it in this way. Now you say, hold on here a second. We don't have the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day, and so it can't possibly be talking about that. But I want to say to you that when we discover in verse number 3 that it says that God created the light and that he separated the light from the darkness... We need to realize that God is God. God is always the source of light. You say, no, the sun is the source of light. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But what I want you to understand clearly is this. The sun is the method God now uses to be able to demonstrate to us what light and heat looks like. But that is not really the bottom line. When we come into the New Testament, the Gospel of John... Uh, We see a demonstration of this in the person of Jesus Christ where we are told that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You say, well, that only means he's revealing to us uh, truth. Well, he is revealing to us truth, but he calls himself the truth someplace else. What he's talking about is the reality of the fact that light springs forth from God. And in the very first day of creation, what God chooses to do is God chooses to demonstrate the separation of light and darkness. He is wanting us to understand that we will never have any comprehension of God if we find ourselves in the darkness looking at the darkness. We have got to come to the place where we see God in the light. Now we're told that he calls the light day and he calls the darkness night. And what we see also in verse number 4 is something that we are going to have to understand throughout this text as well. And God saw that the light was good. Verse 4. Now, the little expression, God saw that it was good, 
appears seven times in this chapter. That means it has some great significance, which we should take the moment to consider. We see it in Roman, or sorry, in Genesis 1-4, where we are right now, in Genesis 1-10, in verse 12, in verse 18, verse 21, and 25, and then we come to verse 31, where it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So let's look at this little word, good, the Hebrew word that is translated good in each of these texts. We should understand it in three specific ways. The first way that we should understand it is as beautiful. That means attractive. It also means attracting attention. What do I mean? Even though it was only God who was there to observe this on the first day, he is laying down a principle that we we need to remember, and that is this. When God creates something that is good, he is creating something that should attract our attention. We should be observing it. In fact, in in Romans 1, uh, we are told that we understand who God is, at least in somewhat an understanding, a comprehension of him, as we observe what he has made. So it's beautiful. But the second meaning of this word good that is used here in Hebrew is this. It's, it means pleasant, that it, uh, it's nice to look at, and that it is to be enjoyed. God is going to demonstrate to us from this verse and onward throughout the rest of this chapter that the things that he is doing are to be enjoyed. We'll come back to that a little bit in a few moments. The third word actually means perfect. That means fully developed and without defect. Think about that now for a moment. Fully developed. This is a problem. This choice of this word by the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 is a problem for those who hold to the theory of evolution. Because the word means fully developed. That's kind of an interesting thing. Because God didn't just create trees as seeds in the ground. He did that too. He didn't simply create trees as little saplings. Though that was true too. He created them as fully developed. In other words, things to be seen in their totality, in their perfection, as fully developed. And without defect. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to discover that a defect enters into the human race, and as a result of that, results in a curse upon that which God has created. But until that point in time, everything that we see is perfect. Now, that's an important thing for us to understand as we look at the days of creation. Let's look at day number 2, verses 6 through 8. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. What we see happening here is God is separating waters from waters. He is placing waters in the atmosphere above the earth, verses 7 and 8 tell us. He is creating waters that are on and in the earth, verse 7. Walverd and Zuck say, say it to us this way. 
God's work involves making division and distinction. Now, this is an important concept that I want you to understand. It doesn't mean division as in uh, we fight with one another, but division as in order, in system to what it is he's creating. He is distinguishing one thing from the other so that indeed as we observe it, as we encounter it around us, we are going to be able to see his fingerprints upon it and his hand of power in it in making what we see around us. So that brings us to the third day. Let's read what it is that we need to to read about that, verses 9 and 10. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So as God separates these waters, and as God separates now the waters that are on the earth, the land begins to emerge. He calls it dry land. And then he calls the other in our text, seas. We know it as the oceans. And what happens is this. God begins to form what we now live on. And he's doing it a piece at a time to demonstrate to us what his purpose really is. If you look at it, you discover in verses 11 through 13... uh, the second part of what he's talking about here in this, in this uh, third day. Look at it, if you will, please. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. So now we start to see that not only has God separated the sea or the ocean from the land and the land from the ocean, but he's starting to place onto the land some of the things that are going to be, and that we observe today, provide for human beings. Look and see what it says. Verses 11 and 12, plants and fruit trees. Will you notice, in verse 11, it says, according to its kind. In verse 12, according to their own kind. And in verse 12, according to its kind. This not only marks order in creation, no chaos, but rather it demonstrates that God has placed a a boundary, if you will, in, in place for each of the things that he has created. They bring forth after their kind. So what we don't have is a tree that becomes a bear. We don't have an apple tree that becomes a magnolia tree. They bring forth after their kind. We can expect there to be system and order in what is going on. And let me add, not to be catty, but there is not random selection. If there is, then God didn't create it. 
And that becomes a very important thing for us to understand. This word kind means a port to portion out. And God created the things into separate categories. And the Hebrew word tells us that God was creating each of the species. So let's move on to day number four, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be light in, uh, lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on, upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So God creates heavenly luminaries. He talks about a greater and a lesser, and then the stars. And in terms of what he tells us here in Genesis chapter 1, he calls the greater light the sun. That's that gaseous ball that is up there that is providing heat and light for us. I was flying uh, out of Boston, Massachusetts into Bangor, Maine one time a few years ago. And there was a group that was coming into Maine to go to Baxter State Park to climb the mountain there in in that part of Maine, the tallest mountain in in uh, that part, in, in Maine. And uh, as we got onto the plane, I sat down alongside of a teenage girl, and she said to me, this is the first time I've ever flied, so I, flown, I'm, so I'm very excited. Well, I thought that would be very exciting. So by and by we take off, and we rise above the clouds, and she says, oh, I didn't know that. And I said, uh, what didn't you know? She said, I didn't know that on dark days like this that the sun actually shone. Well, it's there. It stays there. It does what it's supposed to do. It is called in this text the greater light. Some of you are going to say, well, we know now that we've been out there looking into space that there are stars that are much larger than our sun. But God didn't create those stars to provide for us what he called the sun to do. It was perfectly formed in terms of what it became to be able to provide for us. And then he talks about a lesser light. That's the the moon. And the moon, of course, is not indigenous with its light. Rather, it reflects the light of the sun. I I would much prefer to stand looking at the moon than the sun. (laughs) Basically, because if I look at the sun, it will blind me. One of the things that I've discovered is... uh, Sometimes it's worth taking pictures of. I'm a counselor, so I have another whole thing about the sun. The thing that I have about the sun, and I oftentimes will ask my wife, or sorry, the moon, is, is it a full moon? She'd say, why do you ask? I said, I got to know. Because my phone is ringing off the wall. When I used to work for the police department, uh, I discovered that indeed... Whenever there was a full moon, we got many more calls than we did at other times. I know there are some people that even believe I bay at the moon, but the reality is I like looking at the moon. It is a beautiful thing to see. But what he's telling us here is this. God has given us 
the sun and the moon, to rule in the day, uh, to show us, and the night, to show us what a day looks like. So from day four, we should note that the word day has already been used four times. It's going to be used three more times before we get to the end of creation week. And it helps us to understand what God is really trying to say to us about the days of creation. There are three basic views about what the word day means. Here's the first one. The word day refers to extended geological ages as described by the evolutionist, accounting for probably 13.7 billion years. Randomly, a day as described here could be a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, or a few eons long. The second one, and this is one that many people have never really stopped to think about. You may never even have heard of it. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway to give you something to kind of ponder. That the word day refers to 24-hour periods in which God revealed his creative powers... The actual days on which God began to create were 24 hours in length. But the length of time between each 24-hour day was eons, long periods of time. In other words, 24 hours, period of time. 24 hours, period of time. 24 hours, period of time. The third one is that these were 24-hour days in length and actually compress or mark out or define, if you will, uh, the length of time that is involved in the creation that God is talking about. Now, to arrive at what I believe uh, is the accurate way to understand this, we need to look at other parts of the Bible to see how it is used, to discover what it says about this particular period of time. There are several places. We could go to the Psalms and do this. I'll only go to one for the sake of time this morning. And I will say to you that if we look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, we begin to see what it is that God has in mind for these days as we try to understand them. We read, therefore, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So somebody's going to say to me, but Don, doesn't the Bible actually say that uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day? Good question. You've got a text in mind, but there are two. The first one that you probably haven't thought about is found in verse uh, 4 of Psalm 90. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. In the New Testament, The one that you usually think of, 2 Peter 3 and verse 8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so you say, see, there's proof positive. And what I'm going to say to us is, it is text misunderstood. Huh? What do you mean? What I mean by that is this. In both instances, God is trying to help us to understand that he doesn't mark time like we do because he is not held within time. He doesn't live within time. He lives within eternity. And so beginnings and endings are absolutely nothing to him. It's unimportant. What he is trying to help us to understand is that we, though, 
are locked in time. So that's the way that we see it. Now, he's not talking about the length of days. In fact, what he does refer to is that we don't need to be concerned about how God looks at our time. It is taking a passage of Scripture and implanting it where it does not belong. Just so that you know, I do this all the time, and I have to stop myself and say, is that accurate? And then I have to come to the place where I say, no, it isn't accurate. I'll use one for you that gets misused. You've heard this. It's only part of a verse. Be sure your sin will find you out. And when we catch somebody up to something that's not really right, we say, you see, be sure your sin will find you out. Except that if we look in the context, that isn't what it means. Now that may be true, but it's not what it means. So we have to really look at the passage and say, what is he trying to say? He's trying to say to us, I am not locked in time. I am eternal. You think in time, and because you think in time, you're trying to compress, and then you try to explode it up to take in other things. Now that's some, a concept I think that you may have to go home and think a little bit about. Fifth day, quickly. Verses 20 through 23, and God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth according to the, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the, the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. So God created, verses 20 and 21 tell us, the great uh, fish and sea creatures, and they were created to swim in the waters of the sea. In the same verse, God created the birds, and they were uh, created to fly in the air. But notice in verse 21 that each also was also created according to its own species. I think it should be noted that each of these species were created by God as distinct. Each had their own kind of flesh. Here's a devastating verse for the evolutionist. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 39, Paul says this, For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Which does indeed connect back to what we've just read. The idea in this verse is that each is distinct. Why? Because God created them distinct. And why did he do that? Well, I guess we'll have to ask him, but the reality is so that things would follow the, the system and order that he intended from the first. What were they to do? Verse 22. They were to multiply. That means they were to reproduce. They were to in, uh, increase. They were to procreate. And it tells us in the text that they were to fill. The idea in that word means to fill up, but it does not mean to take up every single space that there is. Rather, it has the idea of taking their place in creation and doing what God intended. Sometimes people will say, and the problem that we have in our world is 
overpopulation. <laughs> I, I oftentimes will smile at that. I realize that Mexico City is uh, stuff-packed full. When I flew in there, I couldn't believe the mobs and mobs and mobs of people. I realize that Tokyo, though I've never been there, is packed full. I've been in Times Square in New York, and it doesn't matter what time of the day you're there, it's packed full. You cannot walk straight down the street, you are going to have to move, and you'll get bumped into because there are so many people. But I want to say to you, I'm from Canada. There are 30 million people. It is the second largest land mass in the world. And I can tell you that exponentially they can take many, many more millions of people and place them into that country. And so the truth is, that's not our problem. I'm not saying that everybody should have eight or ten children. That's not at all what I mean when I talk about this. What I'm trying to say to you is our perspective on things is not always right. For instance... We say, well, the problem that we have is there's famine in the world. Do you know that famine, almost from the beginning of time, is the direct result of bad decisions by human governments? You say, what? I never ever thought about that. Well, you better ponder that. We can feed every person in the whole world. Why? Because God said we could. God told us how. We need to do that. By the way, I'll answer that a little bit later. I don't mean that unkindly. I really don't. Some, some preachers get really wound up about it. They thump their pulpit and say, that can't happen. Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate that you uh, want not to have it be distracting. But if it happens, guess what? It happens. You know, the preacher needs to get over it, right? Tell the preacher to get over it. Just tell me, get over it. There you go. So let's come back and get back to where we were. We're in the sixth day and we're talking, about, uh, we're talking about the fact that God has created the animals. He's told them that they are to reproduce, they are to fill the earth. And uh, as a result of that, what ends up happening is uh, the world becomes populated with animals. Now, I've I got to take one more digression here for a second. Uh, I do know about the tree huggers. I once heard a tree hugger say this. Uh, the world's never going to be what it ought to be until we get rid of all the human beings. Get it back to where it's supposed to be. Where the animals, and the plants overtake it. Well, uh, my wish for them is that their wish would become true and they would be the first to exit. No, I don't really feel that way. They are also people for whom Jesus Christ died, just a little bit misplaced. Hugging a tree is not really, uh, you don't get much back from the tree. (laughs) Anyway, what we have here is we have these things going on in front of us, and God says that they are good, and then on day six we discover something very specific happens. He says in verses 26 and 27, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what we've been seeing in the first five days of creation and even into the sixth day of creation, we've seen God creating light, separating waters, separating land from waters, giving, uh, giving plants to grow uh, on, the, on the earth, creating fish for the sea, animals for the, for the ground, birds for the air, and now he creates human beings. Now, on this second part of the sixth day, as he creates human beings, I want you to notice an expression that's an extremely important expression. Because he says there that he created the human beings in the image of God. He doesn't say this about anything else that he created. This is the only thing that he says. Would you please notice that he does not say that he created the human being from lower life forms. In actual fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, and in chapter 3, we discover that he creates the man from the dust of the earth, and he blows into the man the breath of life. And in chapter 2, he tells us that the woman is created out of the side of the man from the rib that he takes from him. Now, we're going to talk about that probably next week, so we'll, uh, we'll uh, not do more of it. But I want you to notice this word image. Walverdenzak, whom I cre- uh, quoted a few minutes ago, said this, Being in God's image means the human beings share, though imperfectly and finitely, in God's nature, that is, in his communicable attributes, life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, justice, and so have the capacity for spiritual fellowship with him. We're going to come back to that just as we end in a few minutes. But notice in verse 27 that he says there that he created human beings male and female. So here's a point that I want you to grasp. Uh, I was listening to something this week where they were talking about what's going to be the future here in America. You've got to be terrified of some of the nonsense that they are telling us is going to happen in the future. If it happens, this country is going to be so upside down that we aren't going to know where it's going. Here's what was said. There's a movement afoot in the United States of America right now to force every doctor to stop identifying the, people, the human beings that we see as males or females. So I guess uh, when that happens, we're going to become its. Look at your neighbor. Look right at your neighbor there now. Say, hi, it. Remind you of that, uh, of that program that used to be on television that had Cousin It. Well, we may all become cousin its. I want you to understand that the reason for this movement in America today is to try to finish off the marginalization of God. Here's what will ultimately happen. 
We may live, if there's not a movement that comes to stop all of this nonsense, to live in the time when we will not be permitted to read this verse in our Bibles out loud because it will be considered hate speech. I grant it's hate speech. It's the hate speech of people who believe opposite of this against Almighty God. What we need to recognize, and it will become significant to us in the next chapter, is God created them male and female. Now let's get this thing landed, okay? Verses 28 through 31, And God blessed them, and God said to them, to the human beings, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God told the first man and the first woman that they were to produce offspring, that they were fill the world. Human beings are put in charge of the earth, verses 28 through 30, to subdue it. That means to conquer it. That means to bring it into subjection, to have dominion over it, which means to prevail over it, to make sure that the Proper rules are held by that which is around us. And then God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it is very good. So what does this all mean? When God created human beings in his image, he created them for fellowship with him. When we get to the beginning of chapter 3, we're going to see exactly how that took place, and uh, I'll I'll try to explain that in a way that you can uh, make some application in your life. But there's a problem. And we'll see that also in chapter 3. We have sinned. Which has broken our fellowship with God. God did all of what we have just talked about today so that there would be an opportunity for us to enjoy what he has provided for us. To have everything that we could possibly ever wish for. And so that he would be able to fellowship with us, and as we had offspring, they too would be able to come into fellowship with God. So the question that really needs to be asked this morning, as we look at this audience today, is, are you in fellowship with God today? What I mean by that is, have you come to the place in your life where you recognize that he is God and you're not? That Jesus Christ is the one who provides salvation for you and you cannot do it yourself. That what you need to do is come before him and repent of your sin and by faith trust Jesus as your savior. And in doing that, become part of his family. He says, as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. John 1 and verse 12. If you're here and that's not true of you, you need to come to know Jesus Christ as your savior. In a moment, I'll be standing right down here. As people dismiss and go to other places, you come and see me and say, Don, that's not true of me yet. It can become true of you today. 
But across this audience, the thing that I know is this. Many of us who are here, yes, we have invited Jesus Christ to be our Savior, but we too are not in fellowship with God. We're not enjoying not only what God created that got marked by sin, but we are not enjoying what God has done for us in bringing us back and restoring us and redeeming us and bringing us back into fellowship with God. We're walking our lives hoping to survive the days, hoping that nothing too serious is going to happen. We're terrified with what we see going on around us and believing that things are going to get so bad, we're not going to be able to have anything to depend on. That's why God saved you. That's why Jesus Christ came for you, so that you could be brought into relationship with him, so that today you can be in fellowship with him. And even though chaotic things may happen to you or around you, that you can have the confidence that he not only loves you, but is providing for you. Now, if that describes you, you're out of fellowship with God, you need to deal with some sin in your life, then when I'm down here, I'd like you to come and tell me as well, Don, that's what I need. We'll help you to be restored in that fellowship. That's why God gave us what we have here in Genesis chapter 1, so that we can understand that God gives us a foundation, and that foundation that we must live upon is founded upon him as the eternal creator, the one who keeps control of all that's going on. That's ours. We can have that. We can enjoy that. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Now, God, across this audience, there are indeed people who need to, people who need to deal with you. Some of the things that they need to deal with you over, we've talked about. They need to realize that you're God. They need to receive Jesus as their Savior. But they haven't done that yet. God, would you help them to do that here this morning before they leave? Then, Lord, there are people here who, uh, they know you. But they don't walk in close fellowship with you. And so they do not enjoy all of the things that you have provided for them. And I pray that you'll help them to come and find restoration in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Oh, thank you for leading us in victory in Christ. Oh. <laughs> we win. <laughs> I wasn't sure who was going to come and do that, but I figured there was somebody when I saw those... Uh, sitting here. I just hope there's no Gatorade in that one. Now, some of you are wondering, whatever in the world would they do that for? Well, today's Super Bowl Sunday, and there's going to be a coach on one of those two teams, Carolina, uh, that, is going to get, <laughs> that is going to get Gatorade poured all over them. I, I, got, I got hearts all over me. And uh, so what, I, what, I, what happened was, Okay, what actually happened was Angie Springer decided to do something crazy on, on the uh, First Baptist uh, Facebook 
page, closed Facebook page. Most of you didn't see it. Well, when I saw it, I thought, well, I'm going to come back on that just, to, just for fun. And so I started coming back, and it created a, an interchange back and forth between a number of people. And um, so Scarlett got on there, and, uh, and I took from what she said that she was going to be my bodyguard. In fact, I thanked her on Facebook for being my bodyguard. Now, she was at least up here. I think she was in the other end of the building, hiding after the first service when this happened. Uh, what, I, what I said at the tail end of it, if you didn't see it, is I was saying, oh, not Gatorade, not paper, just throw money at me. <laughs> you know, preachers always love money. <laughs> or at least that's what they say. And... Uh, Somebody came back and said something else. And uh, this morning when Scarlett came in, I said to her, Scarlett, you're going to be my bodyguard? Uh, And she said something. I don't know what it was. (laughs) And uh, look, it's better telling if I don't say what you actually said. (laughs) And so I said said to to her, well, it's, it's okay if people throw money at me. This is what she said. Not in this church. (laughs) So, I like having fun. I enjoy having fun. Sometimes I can take it even beyond where it should be. Uh, But if we can't laugh, what can we do? I hope you've had a few laughs this morning. But I hope that in even the laughs during the sermons that the truth comes through. Some of my humor is intentional, and some of it I didn't even know was coming. Uh, But uh, the point is, when we get to the place where we can enjoy receiving truth, it makes it a whole lot easier to apply. I trust you're going to have a great uh, week. Sorry, stand firm. If you need to come and talk to me, please come and do that.